Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Guys, I'm thrilled to introduce to you our sponsors for today's episode, and that is World Nutrition. I have worked with World Nutrition in the past, and I'm thrilled that they are back involved because their products are incredible. I've used them for such a long time. I'm highly suspicious of what I put in my body, but they really excel with their scientifically backed food-grown supplements formulated by women for women. With over 50 scientific studies supporting their products, you're assured of their quality and effectiveness. They create products with purpose that are backed by science and using natural ingredients of exceptional quality. From my personal experience, they've really helped me in keeping me energized and feeling balanced. So if you have quite a hectic work schedule and you need something to give you that health boost, I highly suggest checking them out. They really understand the unique health needs for women. So to get started, you can take their quick and easy 60 second quiz online and that's a great way to get personalized recommendations based on your specific needs or you can do a 15 minute free consultation with their expert nutritional therapists this is my personal favorite because you'd be amazed by how much they can tell you in such a short space of time so use my code saturn returns for 15 percent off your first order to begin your health journey with world nutrition Thank you very much for sponsoring this episode and for helping us and empowering us to be the best versions of ourselves. But I remember that day I was like, this is it. I will never give up hope. I will always find hope. My guest today is author, public speaker, and transformational coach, Britta Fernandez-Schmidt. Britta worked in the not-for-profit sector for many years, advocating for women's health, rights, and empowerment. She recently published her first book, Fears to Fierce, a woman's guide to owning her power, which uses a combination of guidance, storytelling, and practical tools to inspire readers. After reading her book, I really wanted to speak to Britta because I found her ability to hold space and create hope for people in what feels like the most hopeless of moments, really inspiring. Just so you know, we talk about Britta's previous job, which brought her into contact with some really tough stuff. And that section might not be suitable for everyone, so please take care when listening. Britta was one of the first people to record with me in my new home, and as you will hear, there is a little bit of background noise, which I apologise for. I was so consumed by our conversation I didn't quite realise the building work that was going on next door, but hopefully you won't notice it. We dive straight in at the start and I start asking Britta about how she would describe herself and her work. But before we get to this beautiful conversation, let's hear from our astrological guide, Nora. In astrology, the feminine is mainly represented by two planets, the Moon and Venus, each one different and their expression yet intrinsically linked. The moon has four main cycles, four cycles that also represent the four seasons and in turn inform four different main female archetypes. There is the maiden, linked with the spring and the waxing moon, and she is the vibrant, young, beautiful woman that is also widely accepted by society's male gaze. Then there is the mother, linked with the summer and the full moon. 
again, an archetype that is not only admired by patriarchal norms, but also encouraged as an archetype for all women to strive towards. We've all felt it and we all know it. It's the good girl trope. Then the moon moves into its waning phase, associated with the autumn. This female archetype is the wild woman. She embraces her independence, sexuality, and shadow side. She is the woman who understands the magical qualities of this world, the irrational, the genius, the passionate, and the dark side of herself, and those around her, and she transmutes it all into healing. She is the witch, the shaman, the woman that the uninitiated man, the fragile part of male consciousness, has tried to reject and burn at the stake ever since man was created. She is Lilith, a symbol for the woman who in choosing equality over submission and in embracing her inner quote-unquote bad girl, emancipates herself from old patriarchal ideals and creates a legacy of her own. Then we move towards the last female archetype, the new moon, the winter. A time where all the accumulated wisdom of all the three previous female archetypes integrate and give us the wise woman. The woman that has lived and continues to live a life where she embraces the light and the darkness. She doesn't shy away from intensity, but doesn't get consumed by it either. She is highly intuitive and represents the high priestess in tarot, guarding the gates between the seen and unseen. She guides those that need it, and she has fully integrated her inner feminine and her inner masculine, as depicted by the moon joining the sun during its dark phase. Away from the gaze of all, yet deeply felt in the wisdom the collective feminine continues to express generation after generation. We're not just one archetype, we're all of them. I have just always felt a really deep passion for as long as I can remember for reaching out and connecting with others in a sense that I could feel the potential that we all have and of wanting to kind of touch your arm and say, can you see this? Can you see what I see? Can I show you what I see? You know, the sense that so many of us, and me included, don't see it about ourselves. Mm-hmm. We forget. Maybe at one point we knew and we felt it and then we, we lose it. And, and then there's this like slow journey of recovering it. And I guess this seeing has been really, really important to me and allowing myself to really acknowledge that I can see the light in other people and and I want to. Do you think that through allowing others to be seen and encouraging that, it in turn allows you to? Yeah, 100%. It's a mirror. And I think this so often, I mean, now I was just telling you, I'm just um, doing a further qualification as a deep transformational coach. And and when you create the deep connection amongst like two individuals in a coaching environment, like a spiritual partnering so what I sense in you and the space that I hold for you to evolve and for your deepest um, essence to emerge that is facilitated through my deep essence emerging and that's when we then can actually love ourselves more fully because you touched on a moment ago how you know whether it's something that we have and we disconnect from and then have to come back home to which I think is such a relatable theme and especially applicable to the Saturn Returns journey because it's all about kind of coming home to yourself. What was that experience like for you in terms of reconnecting to your truth? 
There are definitely a number of moments. I think the, the, the one big moment for me was moving to Venezuela at the age of 15 from Germany and being exposed to a very different culture and witnessing extreme poverty. And I, and I just felt it in the core of my being. I was just like this fire that was erupting. And I was like, hi, hello, anybody? <laughs> this is not okay. Like, this is not normal. I mean, normal, I don't like the word normal anyway, but what is going on here, you know, and, and, and why isn't anybody outraged about it? And that then started the journey of, of wanting to follow that fire, but at the same time, the pressure of feeling like an outsider and not being told to put it out. Absolutely being told to put it out. Like, can you just quieten it? You know, can you just be a little bit less loud, a little bit less intense, right? And I did. I abided, you know, abided by that. And, um, but only to a certain extent, because I did follow that fire. You know, I, I decided after school to go and study women's studies, and that was 25 years ago, and yeah. no one was doing that at the time. And, and then there was another moment, and that was when I was being bullied at work. And, and I kind of allowed it because it was playing into this sense that I didn't want to be difficult. I didn't want to be the one calling it out. And, and I was also this doubt, like, am I allowed to call this out? Because I'm not perfect, you know, I'm not, I, I make mistakes. It really played into this having to be a good girl. My biggest limiting belief is that I have to be a good girl. And in order to be a good girl, you know, you're not loud, you're not difficult, you don't disagree, you know. You fit in. You have to fit in. Because I, deep down, I know I'm not a good girl, right? Because no one is. Because we, we all have shadow sides. Of course. of course we do, right? But, so, but this belief, like, I have to be a good girl, keeps you at bay because you deep down know you're not a good girl. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, so completely paralyzed. Be seen completely. Exactly, exactly. So it wasn't about me because I was definitely in that bind. But it was when I saw that this was affecting those around me in two ways. A, other people were being bullied by the same person. And B, people were seeing me being bullied and not speaking up. Mm. And that was the killer for me because then I thought to myself, I don't want my daughters to look at me, for example, and learn that you should accept that being bullied. Right? I had an experience really recently when there was a lot of, I guess it was like bitchiness and bullying going on and I didn't say anything. And afterwards I felt icky. And I was like, I wish I'd called that out and next time I will. You and will. it doesn't have to be this big, like, scene. It's just acknowledging, because otherwise you are ignoring your own boundaries and your own integrity. Right, integrity. So that was a key, key realisation for me, Kagi. And the word integrity is immensely important to me. It has like, this incredible energy to it, right? It really is this... Because it's integra, it's like it's it is links to wholeness and and being being all that you are and realizing that you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to be a good girl to uphold your boundaries, and to say in a feminine and loving way, no, mm. this is not okay. And you know what? There was this breakthrough. I was reading um, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And one of the agreements is be impeccable with your word. And not just the word that you speak to others, but the words that you speak to yourself. And when I tuned into that and I was listening to how I was speaking to myself throughout all of that period of the bullying, 
I was scolding myself. Like I was reinforcing the bully. Worse than the bully, yeah. Worse than the bully. Mm. And that's when I thought, okay, that has to stop. I was petrified. I was shaking, but I knew there was no way back. Mm. And then once I had done it, it was like a weight had been lifted. It was a release. Of course. Yeah. How did you handle that conflict? How did you know how to handle that conflict? So there is this sense that you want to rush it, pull up the plaster because otherwise you're going to not do it. But then I also have the sense, no, you can trust yourself and you can trust that you know exactly what you need to do, but you need to take a breath. Mm. And that's what I did. I took a breath and I thought, okay, if you engage in the energy that is creating the bullying, that's when... It intensifies it. It's fire with fire. Exactly. And that's also then when you lose your integrity because then you feel like you're reacting Mm. instead of stopping deep breath and say, how do I want to act from this place of integrity, from this place of loving everything within me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, that bits that are imperfect, but that still does not mean that anyone should treat me like this. Mm-hmm. And so I actually took my time and I, and I talked to several people I trusted and I asked for advice how I should handle the situation. Yeah. And then I, I drew up a plan and, and, and I followed it through. And actually the, the person was let go because, because I, I hadn't been the only person, yes. Wow. But I had been the person who actually said sat. Something. Yeah. That's amazingly brave. It felt super brave. This was not just about challenging a bully. No. This was about was a big deeper. awakening moment mm. for me to mm. believe that I have the right to test the universe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Big. And I think with all these things, I think when we start awakening that part of ourselves and perhaps reading learning, listening, finding a community, and then the tests come and they are uncomfortable. And to also be able to show up with love and vulnerability like you did in that, because you talk a lot in your book about love and how we can show that. And I think it does get this slightly like, oh, woo woo, you know, (laughs) soft, but it's, it's not. Oh no, exactly. It's It's the fiercest thing you can do, isn't it? I mean, you know, I have just had this incredible privilege of working with women and communities in in contexts where there's been immense trauma and conflict. Yeah. Would you be able to share some of those stories because you have experienced and seen some injustices that we I would never even be able to fathom? Because what I just what I was thinking before this conversation was that, you know, I'm very aware of my privilege and my life and the the sort of space that I'm occupying at the moment, which I think is doing amazing things, but I'm also very aware that you know, talking about manifestation and all this stuff, it's like, it's it's a privilege, you know? It's a complete luxury. And reading your book and hearing about some of the things you've seen and experienced, I'm like, that is really going to the depths of things. And seeing the darkness, actually, that humans can do to one another. Yeah. I guess, so one story that comes to mind is a young girl that I met, um, Beatrice, in Ethiopia. And she was only 13 when I met her and we're standing there with the translator and she told me her story and, I mean, just 
unimaginable levels of trauma. You know, at four, she had female genital mutilation, which basically, like, obviously, cutting of the different, I mean, the different forms of it. It basically involves cutting of her genitals, and uh, which often then leads to infection, which then means that you smelly, and then you get you know, bullied because of that and outcast because of that. And then she was from a very poor family. And in Ethiopia and in many countries, um, there are traditions of early enforced marriages, mainly because of the poverty. So you marry your daughter off and you get a, a dowry. And the daughter really then becomes the property of the husband. And so um, Beatrice was married off at the age of 11 to a 40-year-old man who then raped her every evening. He was an alcoholic and... Um, You know, I will never in my life forget this. This was a life-changing moment, listening to her story and so much pain. You know, it washes over you and um, it's very hard not to drown in it, to be honest. And at that time, I was much younger and I, I felt myself drowning in it and um, generally had a moment where I just thought, OK, I think I've lost hope. Like, how do we do this to each other, you know? And and there was something in me, though, that kind of thought, no, you know, but but you can't lose hope. I mean, you, you cannot lose hope because, you know, there's Beatrice just standing next to me and she's just entrusted this story to me. And it's kind of like I'm holding... Now space I have the language, space. I'm holding that space for her. I didn't have that language at the time, you know, it was... going to say, yeah. yeah. and this question came to me, and I, I spoke it out before I had even, you know, like channeling, literally, now I'd say it was a channel. I channeled a question, which is like, you know, what is your hope? You know, what's your dream? And as I was saying it, I'm like, oh my God, Britta, how can you say that? So my kind of intellect, like, I mean, just was criticizing me, but my, my spirit had known exactly what to say. Because in that moment, I saw Beatrice's face lit up. It was literally like a light had gone on. It was unbelievable. And she smiled and she said, I want to learn English. Oh, God. So you can find hope anywhere. That must have been a really transformational moment for you as well. Completely, 100%. I mean, I was committed. I had my purpose. I was already on my journey. But that moment, I remember. I mean, I remember, it absolutely traumatized me in many ways. And it took me a while to, you know, stop crying and to make peace with it. Yeah. But I remember that day, I was like, this is it. I will never give up hope. I will always find hope. That's what I'm going to do. How did you learn to be able to hold that space and not take it on. Yeah. You know, that is a huge responsibility. And how did you find the ways to, the tools to cope with that? And you know, it's so because now it is the beauty of hindsight, right? Because this is like 15 years ago or so, or 20 years ago. And I, that was a life-changing moment. And it, was, it felt like the universe was setting me up to go in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And it's now here where I'm sitting, where I'm, doing this deep transformational coaching at the moment where I literally, I hold space. And the other day I had a client and this really deeply traumatic moment emerged that had been hovering and hadn't come out. And this pain came into the space and it was so big. And I remember thinking, I can hold it. 
and I just made the space bigger. And there was endless room for more pain if there would have been more pain. And I was just holding it and I wasn't, I wasn't scared. I wasn't drowning in it. I, I was just holding it. I just thought this is, what a gift that I can hold that pain. Because then when you can do that without getting drowning in it, that's a healing moment. Mm. It's when you can... For you and them. Exactly. Because like to echo what you said at the beginning, it's like you go deeper and exactly. they do. And it's medicinal for both exactly. of you. Exactly. <sighs> I feel <very> emotional. Because <laughs> what it made me think of is, and you've touched on this in the book, is that we aren't good in general at, at pain, at holding space for our own pain or each other's. And we live in a world where we want to pretend it doesn't exist. But, you know, even having this conversation, it's like the feel, like I'm getting emotional. It's not necessarily sad. It's not sadness. It's just feeling. Yes. Just feeling a lot. And that's what I think that we don't realize is we numb the pain. We numb the heart. Everything. We numb everything. As you heal yourself and you hold yourself, right? You become whole and you don't feel the need to somehow put up shields or hold things back because you feel you're not whole and therefore you're not worthy. Then how, and it's like you say, it's not necessarily sad, it's just we're feeling, feeling so much. And it's about allowing that and and, and sitting in it. And and yeah, maybe we don't understand it, but we don't have to understand it. Yes. That's it. We're also, that's, (gasps) it's so different from the Western sort of shrink, like rationalizing and intellectualizing everything. And it's like, just, you've got to feel it out. You've got to release it from your body. You've just got to express it in whatever way. What are the ways like in terms of learning how to hold space for yourself? yourself. Because you can't hold space for anyone else until you can do it for Mm. yourself. So what are, how does that feel Mm. or look like for you? Mm, yeah, I just really recently, probably like a few weeks ago, I had this really big moment where I, um, as part of the training, you have to listen to coaching um, sessions as well to, you know, understand how these dynamics work. And I was listening to a coach holding space for someone else. And I was had been having this raging headache the whole weekend. And it wasn't until I listened to this other session and I heard the coach say, you know, you can... Okay, so shall we go to your pain? Make space, really go into the pain and make some more space for the pain. And I'm like, oh, oh, maybe I could make some space for this pain that I've been feeling. Uh, When you're coaching, you're in your heart space because you're connecting with another and the way you connect with another is through your heart space. It's not through your head. It never is, right? So I was in my heart space and I'm like, oh, okay, okay okay, let's make some space. And literally, as I was visualizing making space, my headache was literally shifting by the measure that I was making space. For, I was just making room for the pain because the pain was bigger than my head. Yeah. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, right? Because yeah. it was giving me a headache. And, and so by bringing it down in hard space and then making space, suddenly the pain could like just decontract exactly, right? And it wasn't necessarily, it just didn't completely go away, but I'm like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, so I would, all of you, I would encourage you next time when there's something that you, you know, you start clenching your jaw, or you're like, your eyebrows go down, or you're like, 
your headache is really, or whatever, you, maybe you feel in your tummy is really tight. Go put your, draw your energy to that place and create space. Just say, I can hold this. I cannot. Do you need some more space? Okay, let's make some more space. Just that you are always stronger than you think, mm-hmm. that you can hold that pain. We have a capacity to hold pain that is just unbelievable. It's miraculous. What you just spoke about reminded me because I've just moved into this new place and one of my friends came around to do like an energy clearing. Mm. She said that the energy gets stuck in the corners. And I was like, why? And she's like, well, it's just the way that it, you know, it is because the openness, like it can move and it can go out. And so it's kind of the same principle. It's like when I think when we initially start feeling something, we're so wired to be like, oh, no, make that small, hide that away, put it in a box bury it (laughs) and like then it starts manifesting in headaches chronic pain all these kind of things right and so in those moments so instead of resisting oh hello there you are again okay do you want some space yeah because the minute you give it space it's kind of like okay it's gone again that's so fascinating because i also this is gonna sound i mean this is the most first world problem ever but I have spent the last decade in various ways keeping myself small, literally and figuratively. So I've been living in other people's places, like just slotting in. And then now I've got this place. And as soon as I came in, I freaked. Because I suddenly was like, I can't, I'm too small for this. I can't take up this space. And it was this really weird resistance that I had for the first like two weeks where I was just like, I don't deserve to be in this space. I should go back and be smaller and I can't manage it and everything like that. So I'm just like, you got all the space you need, my questioning friend, come in and take a seat. (laughs) But it was really, it was a really fascinating thing that I went through. Because it was just, I think whenever we grow, there's resistance that we have to meet. Of course, love is just the process of our becoming. I literally had this image just now, literally, that you are giving yourself permission to fill this space. And I I had this incredible experience just, just a couple of days ago, actually. I was doing a meditation focusing on I am and the power of these words, I am. I mean, it even has a, right, it has a mm. vibration to it, right? Mm. And the more you say it, the more you can really feel your power. And it can become scary, like you say, because it's just like, whoa, okay, I've got all this power. Like, and because the next thing is, what am I going to do with it? You don't, have to, you don't even have to do anything with it. You just have to be it. And I had this a meditation when I was meditating on I am, and, I, and the voice, the, the meditation voice was saying, you know, you have, Everything you've done has led you to this point right now, right here. You know, what is wanting to emerge? And, and I had this vision of a this magnificent sorceress. And she had this, she was really tall and just strong and she's gorgeous, black, bluey, long kind of cape. And I was like, oh, wow. And I kind of had this sense like, oh, this, I want to be her. And I suddenly thought, oh, it's me. I love that. And so I think this is the same thing. This is exactly the same thing. Because then as as I allowed myself to recognize that it was actually me, it started to fill me. 
so powerful. I actually, just to share a similar thing, when I, I moved to LA when I was 27 and that's kind of when I went on this journey. And I remember at the time, I felt very lost and unsure of myself. But I always had this vision of this woman that was at the end of a road and she was in this house. And I remember like seeing her at the window and I was like, that's how I want to be. And then I remember like, more recently, I was like, I'm her. <laughs> Which I say, obviously, with a lot of resistance and don't want to sound like, again, because it doesn't feel comfortable to be like, I am who I want to be, you know? Because people will be like, oh, that's arrogant or whatever. But it's like, I took a long time to, to get there. And so did you. And that doesn't mean that it's the end of the journey, but it's like you're stepping into that space and then you continue to kind of grow and expand. I am who I want to be. You said that. I am who I want to be. And you know, Kaki, the thing is, when that voice suggests that that's like, what did you just say? You gave arrogant. it a little arrogant. Yeah. Well, because I always just hear the audience being like, well, she doesn't follow herself today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well, I mean, but do they really say that or is that just a voice? Yeah, that's probably just a voice because man. they won't, because what, hap what happens to me when I have someone sitting in front of me say, I am who I want to be, like, thank you, because that's a gift to me, because mm. that means that that's possible. You speak in your book a little bit about writing and journaling. Does mm. journaling play a big role in your life? Mm. Yeah, it does. It does. I, and it could also be drawing, actually. It could be anything that allows you to tap into the kind of the heart knowing. And I do this sometimes, and I think I say this in my book, you know, just randomly open your reflections mm -hmm. just from old before and read them because you will rediscover yourself because you're changing all the time mm -hmm. and you won't remember. And then, then it's like a... It's like your old self is giving you advice or it's kind of reminding you that you already knew this. But you know what? I think it's even, even more important for me is actually that it nurtures this deep trust in your essence, mm -hmm. in this deep knowing that resides in the heart space rather than the overemphasis always on your intellectual knowing, which obviously is super powerful and, and wonderful. But uh, the way I always think of it now is what I try and do is I try and change where the orchestra director sits so many of us have the orchestra director obviously in our head right and it's con conducting everything that we should be doing or should be feeling or should be being um, and so it's kind of moving the orchestra director down into your heart space and and from there directing what you're thinking how you're utilizing your intellect and your intelligence you know what you're feeling and and, and what you being yeah. um and which is probably the fundamental i don't want to say problem but with western culture is that we at the orchestra is always like in the head rather than using that as the tool for the heart yes. the other way around. yes because i mean just from an observational point the book and where you've come from in terms of business and work is i can imagine perhaps it was quite uh linear quite corporate and obviously like meeting with you today you're so spiritual and you're so in your heart space has that been a really has that been difficult for you to get that and when you were writing did you always have that kind of pull back because you don't write as spiritually in the book as you as you are in your energy you know and so now I'm wondering whether that was yes. conscious 
Well, I mean, you know, it's been a really recent, fully kind of flowering journey. I mean, mm. genuinely. So I was, I was, I writing the book. There's, but there's also been a desire. I've been reading a lot of spiritual books already whilst I was reading, well, writing my book. But I, um, I mean, first of all, I, I never like boxing myself. So I actually don't even use the word spiritual that much, to be honest. Yeah. Because I think it, it puts some people off. And I think it's a shame that it puts them off because well, actually... Think about how astrology puts people off. I'm like, I do a podcast on astrology. They're like, taxi. <laughs> I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So this is, this is really interesting. But I, I had a lot of conversations with my publisher and my, and my agent. And the aim for the book was really to be as accessible mm. um, as possible. So that mm-hmm. as many people, and I still have that desire. Mm-hmm. I want as many people as possible to embark on that journey of finding that power within. Because I know it's transformational for the world. And that's also why I've given up my job now and it's why I want to create the school of fears to fears. You know, I want to create an, an online training program that anyone can do that's going to be affordable and then one that's guided. And, you know, and I just, I just really believe that it's not even, doesn't even take that much. It just takes space and someone holding that space for you and really believing that it's possible. Um, there were a couple of things that I wanted to bring in and, and you know, and kind of my publisher said, you know, I think, but that's just the kind of book that this is, let's just keep that out. But, um, but I have, I, another book has come to me and it's kind of, at the moment, it's, it's, it's germinating and then I think it's going to be more, uh, more of, a, of a mixture and I want to bring in some of the, the language that I'm learning, you know, and just this, this wholeness that I feel, which is honestly the last two, three months that it's wow. really been... Um, and that's through the, the yes. coaching that you're doing. Yes, exactly. And that's given you this language. Yes, exactly. It's given me the language for what I've felt for so long. Mm. I really want to write about uncertainty, control, <sighs> allowing, mm. and just this, this allowing trust. it all. The trust, exactly. Which is a big, I mean, that's chapter four in my yeah, book. It's and it's a, it's, it's a big part of my book, trust and love. And there's more. And particularly with the, because I finished the book in February before COVID started in March. Right? So, so that whole um, last 18 months, I've learned so much around how uncertainty and lack of control mm. um, creates just unbelievable anxiety because of the structures of our society because of this kind of totally yeah. and I know like, a lot of people I've spoken to and it is suddenly it's it's the, quite literally things feel sort of out of control and also questioning the whole infrastructure of what we believe to be true because I have also never experienced anxiety until this period Mm. And initially, because I'm 50, I thought it was maybe perimenopause. Mm. And now I'm convinced it wasn't. And it was anxiety, or it is anxiety, because I still have those moments. And with me, they kind of manifest in like literally sweat attacks and my heart and my chest getting tied and just, and really having a sense, this is not right anymore. And the anxiety will stay until we change something that's what I believe but the change is within our capacity that's where I think we are stagnant right now where people are thinking they have no control 
they are completely at the mercy of, you know, what government might be deciding or this or that. And that's a false belief. Because we always have a choice. Mm-hmm. And you said about all the inner work, I mean, there's so much that goes on within us. And I think what this period has brought out is a lot of those limiting beliefs, a lot of those boxes that we've been stuck in, a lot of the uncomfortableness that we've always had, but we've kind of put it in a cellar. And, and and now, because we're always in the house, you know, we have to go into cellar more often and it's like really uncomfortable because there's not enough space, mm-hmm. right? And so are we going to make room? Are we going to kind of unbox those old boxes? And either people have said, okay, you know what, yeah. And that's why loads of people are quitting their jobs and they're changing and they're just like, okay, I'm open. And this is me. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, Kagi, I literally don't know <laughs> how I'm going to earn money. But I'm just going to, it's not going to be like before. And I do not want to be part anymore of that way of, of, of doing. I want to be and I want to see what comes. And, um, and then there are others and other institutions and, and people within those institutions who are controlling even more who like their answer to this opening up has become to be more hierarchical, more, more controlling, more rigid, just, and somehow that if you could just put more structure, you know, of the same that's got us to where we are right now, some of that's going to solve the problem. Basically our <laughs> government strategy right now. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not working. Mm. And it won't work. Because I started doing this throughout lockdown, right? Because I had a really tough time. And there was the moments when I could not get out of bed, which is not at all like me. Yeah. Never, okay, never. And there was come a moment when I, when I said, I just let go. And so I let go and I said, okay, Britta, what do you need? Which I started talking to myself. This was a breakthrough. This was last September. Since then, I've so much better. I haven't had this anymore. I've not had to be in bed anymore. I literally, it was incredible. Because I just said, okay, what do you need? Do you need to stay in bed? Okay, stay in bed. Do you want to watch some Netflix? No? Okay, we'll just lie here then. Literally like that. No judgment. Just, okay, what do you need? So instead of asking government, I say, what should I do? What should I do? What should, asking 50 million other people. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself. yourself. Yeah. Just like, just, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, obviously. It's so <laughs> Surely that's the first person. And everyone's probably listening, being like, didn't ever occur to me. <laughs> Because <laughs> it didn't to me either, but until somehow, I, I swear, I mean, it must have been like, it was just came in the middle of the night. Yeah, and I think, I think that's, what I, that's what I'm doing. Every time I have this anxiety, I said, okay, okay, what do we need? What is this telling me? I mean, I had, um, I had a situation recently because I, I haven't, oddly, felt very anxious over the last year. I really haven't. And, but I did have a situation where I went uh, for a work trip in Mexico and I was around people for the first time constantly. And I'd been on my own and I love being on my own. And I found it a lot. And I wasn't able to communicate my need for, to be alone because I didn't want to upset people. I didn't want them to think like, why, why is she not coming out or whatever? And then there was just one comment or something really insignificant that was made and it just tipped me over the edge. And next thing you know, it's like, I'm full on. I don't know whether it was a panic attack or an anxiety attack, but I can't breathe. I feel completely out of control in my body. 
And it's just, you know, you didn't take your, like, what you need, you know? And we're very good at just abandoning, like, our basic needs because we don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable or whatever, and it's so silly. It's so hard. It's the hardest. And so I think, you know, in those moments, just then also be kind to say, okay, you know, I, did, I didn't listen to myself. I didn't look after myself. And, and that's not because I'm a bad person. It's because the conditioning is so strong. I mean, you know, I'm like a feminist and I have been for years, forever since I can remember. And I, and yet I'm stuck in the same patterns of, you know, wanting to be seen as the a really good mother, you know, really good wife. I don't think it ever goes. I don't think it ever goes. You just have to create enough space. Exactly. To have the awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Just a space of kind of where there, you can have enough room for that little girl who just wants to be loved because that's at the heart of it. She mm. just wants to be loved and she thinks she's only going to be safe if everyone else around her is happy, even if that means that she's she not. isn't. So I have now created space and I see that and I, and I know that that's just a beautiful thing in many ways. It's a, it kept her safe when she needed it. Yeah, and, and, and now I don't need that anymore, um, but I'm also making enough space for the grown-up sorceress. <laughs> 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 I love you know, that. Who needs who needs to be alone? Yeah. Who needs space? Who needs to be fierce? Yes. Right. I kind of feel it's like a playground. Like you're playing. There's no right or wrong. And I don't even want any right or wrong anymore, right? So I'm I'm just experimenting and one day it feels better and sometimes it's well it's all it's all just is, isn't it? And that that's yeah, that's, that's kind of, I guess, my biggest gift to myself and what I want to share with everyone else right now is just allowing the not allowing. That's why it's just this huge breakthrough. I think um, a visual that I find quite helpful and maybe the audience will, for this kind of awareness of the child mm. then, and it came off the back of going through something, you know, relative to my experience that I found traumatic, but also in that trauma I realised that I had to have my own back. Mm. And then also the awareness over that child within. And being like, okay, let's sit with her. And actually, I mean, it's gonna sound kind of like woo-woo, whatever, but actually holding her. No, it's not. then by holding her, right. I in turn know that I'm no longer her. Yes. Otherwise, we're just going exactly. out blindly being navigated by a four-year-old. Exactly. <laughs> Which is often not great. So, But, I mean, I, I, it's so interesting you would say that it sounds woo-woo because it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And I think, like, anybody listening, because you speak so authentically from the heart, everyone knows that this is genuinely what you've experienced. And I, it's like you're voicing what so many of us feel within us, but haven't yet made sense. And so by you using those words, you're giving permission again, Kagi. So every time this voice in your head suggests, oh, it's really silly, you shouldn't be saying this. Listen to the other voice that knows that by you using your voice, you're giving permission to others to find their voice. That's it. The good girl. 
This archetype is so heavily ingrained in our society, I think pretty much every woman feels it at one point in her life. When Britta spoke about this, it really resonated with me because I have always wanted to be seen as good. The conditions of being a good girl mean not upsetting people, not saying no when you want to, people-pleasing, staying small, fitting in, being agreeable, smiling, being who you need to be to make other people feel comfortable, often at your own expense. I find Britta's journey of transformation really inspiring because she is stepping out of that space and into that of her sorceress. When she spoke about the sorceress, this vision she had for herself, it really awoke something in me because we go through changes, especially as women, as we go through these various archetypes in our lives. And it's another word really for the wild woman. It's tapping into the divine feminine. And there can be a pain in this transformation, which you can hear in her story, especially when she talks about being bullied at work. I think that that's something that people don't speak about very often as adults because we associate bullying with being children. But it's something that I can imagine happens a lot more than we think. So if this idea of the sorceress or the witch, the wild woman, all of these things activate the divine feminine, and if you are leaning into the more esoteric practices, which I imagine you are because you're listening to this podcast, then I'm sure this is resonating for you. What really fascinated me about Britta, she has this incredible energy and capacity to hold space. Now, this is a theme we will be exploring throughout this season. It's a term that I use within my friendship circles, within my communities. And it's essentially being able to contain the energy, the emotion, whatever is coming up, being expressed and allowing it, inviting it, making more room for it. I think we can only hold space for each other when we learn to hold space for ourselves. As she said, as you heal yourself and you hold yourself, you become whole. You can find more about Britta and her book, Fears to Fierce, on her website, BrittaFS.com, or by following her on Twitter or Instagram at BrittaFS. You can also follow our astrological guide, Nora, on Instagram at starsincline, and you can follow me at Kagi's World. If you did enjoy this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Farrell, and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye.